Spirit is saying. God, we know that your word is alive, that you're a God who communicates and speaks to us. And so we're expectant of hearing you today. God, help us not simply to be hearers of the word, but help us to apply it to our lives and respond with faith and obedience. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Can we give a massive warm welcome to James Aladrin? Thank you, James. Hello, everybody. Wow, it's such an honor, really is an honor to stand on this platform and have the privilege of sharing with you. And um, I just want to say a massive thank you to Chris Cartwright, the general superintendent, for letting me do this. <laughs> and uh, I've served under some incredible Elim leaders. Paul Hallam, I don't know if he's here. You know, I've been part of Lighthouse for many years and just supporting the amazing work that lo- the Lord has used Paul and Max to raise up in Manchester. And also, I can't go without mentioning Mark and Nita Pew. <laughs> Who are just incredibly encouraging people. And I've been down to Exeter, Rediscover Church a few times. Thank you. Yeah. Some people are excited this morning. So, yeah. So, I'm just really excited about, you know, just the opportunity to share. And I want to thank you all. Uh, there's a word sh- uh, stirring in my heart I want to share with you. But before I go into that, I just need to uh, do a few things. Just tell you a bit about myself, Prayer Storm, and what we do. We're based in Manchester. Uh, uh, Preston started in uh, 2009, and our heart is to uh, be uh, a catalyst for prayer revolution across the body of Christ. Uh, we believe that every great move of God is preceded by a great move of prayer. And if that's true, then we need to see a great move of prayer within the body of Christ. And I always like to say, you know, we talk about unreached people groups in the earth, people who have not heard the gospel. I believe the body of Christ is an unreached people group in the area of prayer. And uh, we really need to see the body of Christ re-evangelized, especially in the West, to the significance and the power of prayer. And we can see that we don't believe in the power of prayer because our prayer meetings are not that well responded to. And the parts of the world where revival is happening and God is moving, the prayer meetings are more important than the Sunday services. How about that? (laughs) So yeah, we want to see an awakening in that area. And we do all kinds of things and events and just... uh, uh, teaching, equipping, and mobilization for days of fasting and prayer. Um, I had a radical encounter with God in 2000, actually in the year 2000, um, and my life was radically turned around. My parents are missionaries to the UK, so I loved the word yesterday about being a missionary because I am a missionary. And I look at you, especially you white people, (laughs) and I think to myself, Your forefathers came over to Africa, and many of them took their coffins with them, and they learned the language. Many of them died, you know. And, I mean, God has not forgotten our sacrifice. You know, God has not forgotten our sacrifice. Yes, round of applause, yeah. And God is sending people back to this nation because he's not forgotten this land. So I'm a missionary to the people of this land. And I believe I have a message and I'm called to see a great awakening in this nation. And uh, 2000, and 2000, God radically turned my life around. And um, I was, uh, I never thought I would do anything like what I'm doing right now, preaching and teaching. If I hated public speaking, I'm not going to go into the details, but... It was just bad. Have you ever watched X Factor and someone is so bad you're embarrassed for them? Well, I was like that times 10. I hated any kind of public speaking, and some of you probably like that. 
So uh, the fact that I'm stood in front of you right now is a miracle. And I had a, what I call a personality transplant. <laughs> in one moment, God changed me. And here I am. In 2007, I went to a gathering in America. I had a massive encounter with God there as well, at the ramp in Hamilton, Alabama. And uh, as a secondary consequence of my uh, encounter, the ramp, uh, I ended up working for the Message Trust, leading prayer for seven years. Actually, what happened was at the ramp, I was called up on the platform to greet people. And as I was greeting people, I ended up just on my face crying and weeping for revival in the UK. And the whole meeting erupts in this prayer. And that video went around on the internet, ended up with Andy Hawthorne. Long story short, I got a job as prayer coordinator for the next seven years. And never planned to lead a prayer movement. I mean, I, I always say, you know, I hated praying in the, in the sense that in the mornings and at home, my parents would get us around and, well, my mom more, and we would get around and pray. And uh, not every morning, but quite a few more minutes we would do this. And my mom would have, have us all pray one after the next. And I hated those times. Because I was like, why do these prayers need to be long? And I got frustrated with the old people that prayed long prayers. And this is further on in my experience. Other people trying to correct other people's theology with their prayers. (laughs) What's that about? Are we talking to each other? Are we talking to God? (laughs) Or are we trying to impress each other with our theology and our way of articulating? Because God is not impressed with our ability to communicate. In fact, in prayer, it's more important to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got frustrated. Some of you have some of these hang-ups as well, you know, so you can relate to some of my frustrations. Anyway, so the fact that I'm leading a prayer movement is just incredible. So I ended up uh, at the ramp and... My life was impacted, and I went to the call with Lou Engle in 2007, and God really impacted my life there as well. And while I was in that stadium, 7707, with 77,000 mostly young adults there, fasting and praying, end of a 40-day fast, the meeting was for 12 hours, you know, stood there in the hot sun. I felt God say to me, you mobilize like this for prayer in the UK. I had no idea of ministry or doing, anyway, long story short, is warmed in right now, came out of all those words and experiences with God. Um, quickly, um, we're very stirred at the moment about a prophetic word that was released 70 years ago this year by Smith Wigglesworth. Some of you know this word. Just go on Google and type in Smith Wigglesworth prophecy 1947, and you'd see, you know, the incredible words he had for the church in the UK. And we feel like this is a key time for the church to gather in fasting and prayer. Uh, Daniel read Jeremiah's 70-year prophecy in Daniel 9 and responded with fasting and prayer. Uh, Joel calls the people of God in Joel 2 to fasting and prayer. And I believe we have to respond to the prophetic words God has spoken on. God is speaking over the nation with fasting and prayer. If God has said he wants to move in the church and across Europe, then we as the church need to lay hold of those words and not just celebrate the words and say amen, but agonize over the words and birth them in the spirit through fasting and prayer. So we're having this gathering on the 20th of May for this very purpose, to mobilize people to fast and pray, to birth prophetic words that have been spoken over the UK. So this is going to be happening in Manchester, and I would love for you to join us if you can come up to Manchester. It's a seven-hour meeting, 12 noon to 7 p.m. on the 20th of uh, May. We'd love for you to join us. I'm here with my wife, Rebecca. Do you want to wave, everyone? And uh, I've got Judith over there, who is our administrator, and Rob Sharp was somewhere around, wherever you are. You know, so we've got a stand as well here at the back. You can come and check us out later. Um, okay, now, I want to start with a bit of a, maybe a scary word. I'll put it that way. I was impacted by this word a few months ago. I think I was on holiday, 
and I was just reading, and the Lord just arrested me with this scripture. And I feel it's connected to what God wants to do here. I'm not going to end up teaching on this, but it's my starting point. It's Lamentations 1.9. This is what it says. They did not consider their destiny, therefore their collapse was awesome. How many think that's a wow scripture? They did not consider their destiny, therefore their collapse was awesome. And I felt God stirring my heart about Elim in this light. And it's the fact that Elim has a great destiny. Okay, thank you for that, amen. I said, Elim, the Elim movement has a great destiny. And listen, that destiny is connected to national awakening, spiritual awakening in the nation. Now, the scripture says, they did not consider destiny, therefore their collapse was awesome. The reverse of that is true. If they did consider their destiny, their elevation also will be awesome. The considering of their destiny is just a, it's not just a mental agreement to something. It's seeing what God is saying and agreeing with that, not just from a yes and amen point of view, but from a lifestyle point of view such that it affects your decisions and your thinking. Because the scripture is about the nation of Israel. They believed and they celebrated the prophetic words. But the prophetic words weren't strong enough in their lives to change the way they lived. And you would know you believe the prophetic word of God over your life and over your church and over the movement. By how that word affects your decisions and how it affects how you think. If it's not having an impact on how you think and making, having an impact on your decisions, your lifestyle. Then that word is just a feel good. It's not really affecting you. And I, there, there's certain prophetic words that God releases. It's not just to make us have goosebumps. We're meant to carry those words and ask the Lord, Father, what are you requiring of me to see this word manifest? I believe Elim has a great destiny and it's connected to a national spiritual awakening. There are four things I feel are necessary to consider in light of this destiny that Elim has. And these four things, I'm going to focus on just one of them, but I feel to mention all four. Um, in light of the great destiny that Elim has, I believe, number one, the Elim Pentecostal movement has to have a great emphasis on investing in the youth and children. Joel 2 28 says, I pour my spirit and all flesh in the last days. Your sons and your daughters, young people, old men, all the generation, and your young men, another generation. There's double emphasis on the youth. The enemy has real emphasis on the youth right now more than the church does. And I want to challenge the Elim movement to invest in the children and in the teenagers. And don't just give them video games and feed their flesh. Build their spirit and make them warriors. We've got to raise up warriors because the darkness is increasing and we cannot afford to just raise up teenagers and children that have no strong spirits and they're going into a dark world out there, not equipped to fight the battles out there. God is calling us to raise up warriors and we have to invest in them. We had a prayer meeting the other day and one of the young people got up and he said this, that it really struck me. He says, young people are looking for fathers, not preachers. We need more fathers to rise up. And listen, I've seen some dysfunctional fathers in the church who are competing with sons. 
Fathers don't compete with sons. Fathers release sons. Fathers encourage sons. We need to start to release the teenagers and young people and not wait for them to be perfect. We need to start encouraging them and agonizing in prayer over their destinies. I'm telling you, the times are serious. You know this. And we cannot afford to play around. These young people, these teenagers, they're not the leaders of tomorrow. They're the leaders of today. So we have to invest in them. Fathers need to raise up some more. More spiritual fathers need to arise across the Elim movement that would mentor, raise up, equip young people to be the voices that God wants in this generation. Secondly, the Elim movement needs to raise up leaders that are secure in their calling. Leaders that are secure in their identity and their calling would not be intimidated by someone else on their team that's more gifted than them. A lot of the problems we have in the church sometimes is it's out of insecure leaders not able to manage the fact that God's blessing someone else besides them. And this movement will be a lot greater if the leaders in this movement learn how to celebrate the gifting and the anointings of other people and understand that someone out there is always going to be better than you. It's okay. It's okay. We're called to be the body of Christ. We can't all do everything. And we need to learn how to celebrate the giftings around us. And we can't afford to be leaders that shut down people around us because we feel intimidated by their anointings. Even if they're not perfect. We need to raise up some secure leaders that are ready to let go of the platform because someone else is anointed for the word of the season. And that word is going to equip the church to be where it needs to, where it needs to be. Okay. I'll move on. <laughs> I could stay. I could, I, trust me, I could go on that for a while. Number three. We need to, the Elim movement needs to raise up leaders who are not, to, who are not afraid to say what God is telling them to say. And what God is calling them to preach. The Elim movement needs to raise up leaders that are delivered from the people to deliver the people. Some of you, I, I feel, are scared to preach some messages because you're scared of what people are going to think. You're scared of losing members. You're scared of, oh, this person, maybe they give so much, they're going to be offended. God is calling people that will not be controlled by man or mammon or money or any of that sort. Preach the word of God. Without intimidation, Leonard Ravenhill says, the man who is intimate with God will not be intimidated by man. It's time to get intimate with God and lose the fear of man and be able to stand and speak the word of God. Because I really do believe in these days we're living in, God is going to call us leaders to preach messages that will not be popular. And we need to be okay with that. No of a spirit of condemnation over people. The Lord convicts people, obviously. But our job is just to be faithful to that word. And we need to not be afraid of this political correctness nonsense. <laughs> and be faithful to the truth of God's word. The fourth thing, and this is where I'm going to camp on. 
I believe the Lord is calling the Elim movement to become a prayer movement. Thank you for the amens. I'm sure those are the intercessors out there. Just like, come on. I want to remind you, the movement is called Elim Pentecostal Churches. Pentecost came out of a prayer meeting. And that's the only thing that's going to sustain it. So if you're going to call yourself Elim Pentecostal, then you need to make sure that the prayer movement is not something you leave for some old women at the back of the church. The future of this movement is connected to the effectiveness and the depth of prayer that comes out of this movement. There's no point us trying to... Listen, you can't outsource prayer. You can't just pay someone on staff to do all your praying for you. Just like you can't look at the worship leaders, Ian Yates. By the way, they sounded amazing. (laughs) Just like you can't look at them and get them to do all the worship for you. You can't expect someone else to do all the praying for you. They're worship leaders. They're anointed to lead people in worship. First and foremost, they're worshipers. And then there's a leadership thing on there to lead other people into that. In the same way, we're all called to the ministry of prayer and intercession. Now, there are other people that may lead in it, but that's not to say it's just for them and not for everyone else. We're all called to this. You know what? I just remembered I forgot to do something, and I'm just looking at this right here. I was going to give this to the general superintendent. <laughs> I'm going to just pause my message a second. I'm going to give it to my wife. So this, this is an album we just released. Um, uh, a couple of weeks, last week, a couple of weeks, I don't know when it is. It's called We Declare War. <laughs> I love that title. It's called We Declare War. And uh, there, there's a track on there called Big Ben. And it takes the sound from Big Ben, you know, the, the bell sound. We believe it's an iconic prophetic sound for the United Kingdom. And uh, we take that sound, convert it into cool music. And release a prayer, prophetic declarations over the United Kingdom. I really love it because I feel like it's something very prophetic for this hour. Calling the nation to awakening. um, And also the United Kingdom sets the time for the rest of the world. It's plus or minus GMT everywhere else. So apart from calling the United Kingdom to awakening, we're calling the nations of the earth to alignment with the purposes of God. As that bell rings. So I want to encourage you to, to check out that, uh, that album. We've been so blessed by the testimonies that have come from people who've, who've heard it. It's a worship and prayer album. Okay, back to what I'm saying. The Elim movement is called to be a prayer movement. There's a scripture I want to look at that I feel captures the essence of what I feel God's wanting to say uh, this morning uh, to you. It's from Matthew 25, and it's the scripture about the, um, uh, the ten virgins. Um, And you would all know the story. Um, Jesus uh, 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 gives, talks to the disciples about this parable. And you know what? I'm going to read verse 1. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. 
Okay, I'll just stop there. Um, and it talks about the wise virgins. It talks about the foolish virgins. The first word in my Bible says, then the kingdom of heaven. The word is then. And uh, I guess the question to ask ourselves is when is then? Because this then is talking about a time. Okay? If you read the context, Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about, you know, the signs of his second coming. And this meeting that Jesus is sharing these things about the signs of his coming, it's not a meeting that the multitudes are invited to. This is a closed meeting with his leadership team. So he's talking to his leaders about the signs of his coming. And he gives three parables. The first parable, um, it's the parable about two servants, one faithful and one unfaithful. In this parable, Jesus' coming, second coming, is shorter than expected. And because the second coming is shorter than expected, the people work with wrong motives and abuse authority. In the second parable, which is this parable about the ten virgins, Jesus' second coming is longer than expected. And the people work with the wrong spirit and neglect their intimacy with God. The third parable is the parable about the talents. And in this parable, Jesus' second coming is harder than expected. So therefore, the people work with a wrong evaluation and neglect their assignments. I want to focus on the second parable where Jesus' coming is longer than expected. So when he says, then the kingdom of heaven shall be lacking on ten virgins. When I say when is then, the then is in the end times. And we are in the end times. How many really believe that Jesus is coming soon? I know we say that all the time and every now and again you probably just, you know, not think much about it. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is coming soon. But no, Jesus is actually coming with the same body that he walked this planet. That body is coming back <laughs> to rule and reign. Yes, it's going to be incredible. Um, so, in this parable, uh, it talks about ten virgins. And in this parable, Jesus' coming is longer than expected. And the people work with a wrong spirit and neglect their intimacy with God. There's a few things I want to highlight in this parable. I'm not going to read the whole passage because I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you all know the story. And I'm just going to try to save time and get to the points I want to get to here. So, it talks about virgins. We, are, uh, we all as believers are virgins according to second corinthians 11 2 okay you can look that up um in verse 2 of matthew 25 verse 2 uh, he says now the five virgin uh, uh, now five of the virgins were wise and five of them were foolish in fact no i'll just read on those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them but the wise took their oil in their lamps with them. Okay, I will just pause there and go back to explain a few things. When he talks about the lamp, the lamp is a picture of ministry. So, we all in here have our lamps. Matthew 5 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, 
Their sin, your works, is a picture of the effectiveness of your lamp, your ministry. So these ten virgins had lamps. These ten virgins are picture, they're a picture of the leadership in the body of Christ in the end times before Jesus returns. But obviously Jesus is trying to teach a lesson here about being wise and being foolish. And it's amazing the subtlety and it's amazing what differentiates the wise from the foolish, which I'll come to in a moment. We all have lamps. Another point I want to make is these uh, virgins had a revelation of the bridegroom. These virgins had a revelation of Jesus as their bridegroom. How many of you understand that the body of Christ is the bride of Christ? It's also the body of Christ. We're also warriors. We're also sons of God. It's kind of, it's kind of like women are sons of God and men are the bride of Christ. It's a concept that explains our level of relationship and connection with him. As, as the bride of Christ, we have access to the heart of God. As the sons of God, we have access to his power. And how many of you know that it's a dangerous thing to have access to his power without the heart? Because that power is destroying and has destroyed many people. And we can't just go after the power of God. We have to go after the heart of God, which is intimacy with God. So the ten virgins have an appreciation of the reality and the revelation of intimacy with God. They're not, they're not thinking it's a weird thing to be called the bride of Christ. They are, in fact, they're preparing themselves to meet the bridegroom. Okay. Another point I want to make is the oil. The oil speaks of the presence of the Holy Spirit and our heart connection with him. Oil is used as a fuel for lamps, for food, and as medicine to heal the sick. The oil of the Holy Spirit touches our hearts in different ways. One, it tenderizes our hearts and helps us to connect in our emotions to feel God's desires for us. Another thing the oil does is it, it enlarges our desire for the Lord in encountering Him. Another thing the oil does, it, the oil does it, it illuminates our minds, our hearts. Ephesians from the spirit of revelation. Another thing oil does it, it impacts us with zeal for righteousness. So, we've got the lamp and we've got the oil. However, you have the foolish virgins. Now, I want to touch on verse 3 to point out a very crucial point. And this is really where I'm going with my message. Or what I feel God wants to give to you today. Verse 3 says, those who were foolish took their lamp and then they took their oil. Those who were foolish took their ministry and then they took the oil of intimacy with God. It's not that they didn't think oil was important. It was just in second place. Now if you read the wise virgins, they took their oil, and then they took their lamp. How many of you realize there's a difference between being passionate about the work of God and being passionate about God himself? I've done this long enough. I know I'm young and younger than many of you here, but I've done this long enough to know it's very possible to be passionate about working for God and not passionate about being with God. You can run on just the excitement of platforms and stages. In fact, you can have a growing ministry to the masses and a shrinking heart towards God. 
I'd rather burn in the secret place and be on fire for God when no one is looking than look good on the platform in front of people. I want to ask you, what are you more concerned about? A massive ministry before the masses or a massive heart before God? Because there are many people who have many big ministries before the masses, but their hearts are so tiny and cold. In fact, there are many ministers who have big heads and small hearts. Head full of theology, ideas, and this book and that book and that idea, but we're not connecting with the Holy Spirit and receiving His strategies for us. God has a strategy for your church. And can I say to you, that strategy is not necessarily some strategy from some American church. I love Americans. But we can't always just copy what works over there. Remember the temptation Jesus had? The enemy came and said, look at the, the kingdoms of the world. I'm going to give these kingdoms to you. All you have to do is bow to me. Well, the enemy did have that influence because he got it from Adam. And God was going to give that to Jesus because he did give it to him at the end. And he said, all authority is given to me. You know the story. So the point is, the enemy was offering Jesus what God was already going to give Jesus. But he was offering him a shortcut to get it. He was offering Jesus the promise of God. Without the cross. And the Lord is saying to you, early ministers, pick up your cross. And follow me. Where are you following Jesus to? To exactly where he went with his cross. To die. Many of us go to the cross, but not get on the cross. He wants to kill us. <laughs> he wants to kill our fleshly desires the cross is for the flesh we need to slay that flesh I remember God saying to me once when I was praying he says James are you okay to do what I've called you to do even if you look like a failure in the eyes of man I want to ask you the same question are you okay to do what God has called you to do, even if all your ministry friends call you a failure? Because they called Jesus a failure on the cross. All the multitudes disappeared, but he was obeying God. That was his destiny. Everyone left him, even his disciples. But isn't it crazy that the moment that looked like the greatest defeat was actually the moment of his greatest victory? The cross was his pathway. He had to go through the cross. There are no shortcuts to revival. We have to do it the hard way and the only way. Prayer, fasting, consecration, holiness, seeking God. I mean, I say it's, it's amazing what we can achieve in the 21st century church without the Holy Spirit. We've got great bands, we've got great music, nice lighting, nice PA system, Facebook Live, YouTube, Twitter. We've got everything. And we can have a nice meeting, but Holy Spirit hasn't showed up. And we're satisfied because we feel good. The early church, remember, they had nothing like we have. They had less and did more. We have more. Somehow we're having less impact. It's because we're not giving ourselves like they gave themselves. We celebrate the life of John Wesley and what God did through John Jeffrey and all these amazing men and women. But we celebrate the fruits of their life but don't emulate their lifestyle that caused them to wake up at four in the morning to pray. Fast twice a week. John Wesley got his ministers to fast twice a week. How about that? For the healing church. 
There was a depth of spirituality that carried the weight of awakening that God was releasing through them. See, we're crying out for revival and a spiritual awakening, but we are weak in the spirit and can't handle the weight of what God wants to release. So the things we're crying out for would actually destroy us if God were to release it right now. That's why we need to cultivate the oil. And the oil is unseen. I don't know where your oil is. You don't know where my oil is. In fact, the anointing of God on your life is not a sign of his approval of your behavior. Because you can preach an anointed sermon and see people get healed, prophesy, lead worship, and powerful things happen. That does not mean your oil is in the right place, or you've got the right oil, or you're in the right place of God. It means nothing. All this platform stuff means nothing in terms of heaven's perspective. Heaven is not impressed because you spoke in front of 5,000, 10,000, 100,000 people. In fact, listen, my, I'm, I'm, st- I'm probably speaking to one of the bigger crowd is, uh, crowds I've spoken to, and that's amazing. But think about this. It doesn't matter whether I'm speaking to a crowd of 40,000 or 40. It's still a step down from one-on-one conversation with the King of Kings. The size of my ministry and my crowd is irrelevant. It's my faithfulness to my assignment. And we have to let the oil become our, listen, our dream. There's a difference between, now there should be a difference between your dream and your assignment. My dream by God's grace is to cultivate oil. And go deep with God at a heart level. As close as is humanly, humanly possible to walk with God and still remain on the planet. That should be your dream. Prayer storm and what I do, that is my assignment. Your church, your leadership, that is your assignment. That should not be your dream. That is the outworking of the assignment God has called you to. The problem comes when your assignment becomes your dream and your dream becomes your assignment. Because then, when your ministry is big, you're lifted up in pride and feel good. I'm better than them over there. God's working in my life. It's good. And then when your ministry is small, you're depressed. Because now you're deriving your identity from what you do as opposed to who you're called to be with him. If my dream remains cultivating oil and going deep in the secret place, it doesn't matter whether my ministry is big or small. No one can touch my dream and my dream is being fulfilled because I'm going deep with God. Yes, he has, you know, it says in Psalms, God lifts one up and brings one down. That's up to him. Promotion either comes from the east, from the west. It comes from him. I'm going to be faithful to my assignment as well as dig deep in the secret place. I've got to have oil. In, uh, in, uh, in uh, uh, Luke 1, the angel came to John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, and said to him, He will be great in the sight of the Lord. That was a prophecy over his life. There's a difference between being great in the sight of man and being great in the sight of the Lord. I want to ask you, do you want to be great in the sight of the Lord or do you want to be great in the sight of man? Because it's possible to be great in the sight of man and nothing in the sight of the Lord. I'd rather be known by heaven and feared in hell than be a celebrity on the earth. Let us be a people that when we wake up in the morning, the enemy goes, oh no, they've woken up. 
I want to be famous in heaven and hell. Because when I pray, listen, I can move men and women, but when I, sorry, when I preach, I can move men and women, but when I pray, I can move angels and demons. I'd rather be moving angels than demons, preparing the way of the Lord, when no one knows my name, and I'm not called to preach on a platform, than having a big ministry before the masses, but not really shifting anything in the spirit realm. Listen carefully to me. If communication gifts was going to change the world, and evangelistic giftings and prophetic gifts was going to change the world, the world would be changed by now. We've got the greatest communicators on the planet. The greatest preachers on the planet. Right now, many preachers in America, many preachers in the UK, many preachers in Africa. But the world, I mean, yes, God is changing the world in tiny bits, but the outpouring according to Joel 2 in the magnitude we're crying out for, we're yet to see that. Because what we're crying out for is not something the gifting of a man can manufacture. It's something of a release from heaven. And that only comes one way and one way alone. Consecration, prayer, fasting, and the secret place of cultivating oil. We want God to show up publicly for us. We want the outpouring of God's spirit. I'll pour my spirit off flesh. That's a public display of God's power and glory. Yeah, that's true. But the outpouring of God's spirit is a secondary consequence of walking in the overflow of his presence in the private place. We will not see the public outpouring without the private overflow. We're quick to cry out to the Holy Spirit to show up publicly for us, but we're not showing up privately for him. Authority in the public place, authority in the platform, in the workplace, wherever we are, is a secondary consequence of obedience in the secret place. The oil. The oil. The oil has to be our priority above all else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You can't do that and your emotions be disconnected. It consumes your whole life. I remember I got a prophetic word recently. It was a warning prophetic word. How many of you know Jonathan Aloyde from National Day of Prayer? I was with him recently and he was praying. He was prophesying over me. He said, James, you're a burning man. You're a burning man. But the Lord is saying to you, don't allow the draw of administration to drown out the flame of God. How many pastors can relate to that? Because I'm not a pastor, but I've been in ministry long enough to understand the pressures of all the things we need to do. We need to do, 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 do. That draws us away from cultivating the oil. I think it was John Wesley that says something, I'm paraphrasing, you know, like I've got so much to do today, I'm going to pray twice as much. Because the kingdom works the wrong way, the other way around, upside down. The, serv- the, the, the leaders are the servants. So everything's just different. And I believe God's calling the healing movement to cultivate oil. The wise virgins, I round up now. The wise virgins took their oil and then they took their lamp. That's the right model. You don't pray and spend time with God because you have a preaching assignment. You don't fast because, I don't know, T.D. Jakes has called you to pray at his church. I love T.D. Jakes. <laughs> and you're going to pray in front of 10,000 people, so now you're going to fast. Well, before that appointment, would you have fasted anyway? You can't allow your prayer life to be determined by your preaching diary. 
you have to have a life of going deep in God in prayer, irregardless of whether you're speaking or preaching anywhere. I don't preach. Sorry, I don't, uh, yeah. I don't pray because I'm going to preach. I preach because I pray. That should be our model. If we're really going to see national awakening, it starts with us, people. Revival starts right here. And this is where I'm going. If God is calling Elim to be a, not just Elim Pentecostal as it's known, but a prayer movement, the leaders need to be a praying people. You will not have a praying church if the pastor is not showing up to the prayer meetings and the pastor is not passionate about prayer. You will not have a praying church if the pastor just gets the intercessor to do all the praying for them and then just do a short prayer before service. And look at Jesus. He prayed through the night. I know all my stuff is flying around, but it's good for the drama of this point. <laughs> Jesus prayed through the night. Okay, question leaders. When was the last time you prayed through the night? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But I'm telling you, that's not most of us in here. If there's anyone that had an excuse not to pray, it's Jesus. He's the son of God in human form. And if he prayed as much as he did, who are we to think we're okay with two minutes of prayer? It's not just about the quantity, it's about the quality. But when you have quality, it results in quantity. And I want to say to you, many of us leaders are bored in prayer, disconnected from God. And that's why we're not giving ourselves to prayer. And maybe not even teaching on prayer. Because you can't teach and impart to people that which you're not carrying. We have to work this out. And then it spills over to the church. Yongi Cho, when the church got big, he started in prayer. He was the one who was giving himself into sinning and others came and saw him praying and they joined forces. How about the, the pastors become the intercessors? And don't let it be the crazy people. <laughs> I am one of those crazy people. <laughs> we are the ones that need to carry this burden. It's not just for some special few people. And God is saying to us, Rebecca, do you want to come up, please? And God is saying to us, if we don't get ready, God can pass us by. It's not, it's not that he doesn't want to use us, but he doesn't want what he wants to release to destroy us. It's too precious for God to release that kind of mandate, awakening, fire over a movement, when the internal structures are so weak it will destroy us, there's an anointing upon and there's an anointing within we cannot allow the anointing upon to be greater than the anointing within the anointing upon is for ministry, the anointing within is for intimacy and connection and when this is drying up you can still keep doing this and functioning but this anointing upon can destroy you if this in here is weak Everything I'm saying to you, I say to myself. So I'm not saying this as some super spiritual guy who's got it all sorted. I want to invite you to respond to this. And we're going to have a bit of a different response. My wife is going to sing. And as she sings, I want to call you to the place of your first love again. Christianity 
is only hard. The Christianity is only hard when you're not in love. When you fall in love with God again, prayer is easy. Fasting is not that much of a big deal. Yes, it hurts the flesh, but the love overwhelms all of that. If you would like to commit yourself to the place of saying, God, I want to fall in love with you again and make getting oil my first priority. As she sings, I just want to invite you to stand up and just respond to God. if you're responding to this and saying Lord we want to put oil in the place of first priority we want to love you with all our heart soul mind and strength that every sacrifice seems like nothing waking up early if that's what you're saying to us right now extra times in your presence whatever it looks like father we want to be so in love with you that it's nothing the sacrifice is nothing because we're overwhelmed by your love for us and our love for you we're falling in love with you again and again father we're sorry for where the lamp has taken the first place administration has taken over our, our spiritual walk with you and we've been bombarded by to-do lists and all kinds of distractions father right now in the name of jesus let those distractions begin to fade away we want to dig deep in prayer but i'm asking for a fresh fire upon every church leader upon every youth leader upon every elder in this congregation right now in the secret place awaken our hearts in prayer come on just cry out to God for a fresh fire right now father we want a fresh fire upon our hearts a fresh awakening upon our hearts we say Lord awaken us with a spirit of prayer intimacy intercession cry out to God forgive us Lord for dullness forgive us Lord for weakness of soul and spirit forgive us Lord for where we have been so bored and disconnected and distracted Forgive us for where we are trying to outsource prayer. Forgive us, Father, and release upon us a fresh mantle for intercession, a fresh mantle for prayer. Release it upon us, Lord. There is no other way. We have to burn for you. There is no other way. The healing Pentecostal movement has to be a prayer movement. There is no other way. We have got to pray and seek your face, Lord. Release a fresh fire upon our hearts, Lord. Oh, oh, cry out to God. Release a fresh fire upon our leadership. Release a fresh fire upon our families. Release a fresh fire. And the churches in this movement, Lord, you promised and spoke through your prophets that this year is a year of revival for the healing church. We say release your revival as we pray. Release awakening as we cry out to you, Lord. Ah.
take a moment. Maybe you want to close your eyes just so that you're not distracted. And say, God, what does that look like for me? God, what does that look like for the responsibility, the assignment that you've given me? And God, what does that look like for us as the Elim movement? To be a people individually and corporately who cultivate the oil, who pursue the presence. Spirit, thank you for your word to us today that challenges and encourages. Thank you for this movement moment, this propelling forward, this catalyst moment where we as sons and daughters are before you to say, God, what do you require of us? Holy Spirit, I pray you'd give us such clarity and wisdom to know what it is that needs to change in us. And God, I pray that you would raise up such a boldness, such a determination within us that we will not let this go. And God, we say thank you for what you're doing amongst us. And God, what you're going to do as we continue to seek you and to seek you to a greater degree than we've ever done before. God, give us the courage to lay aside things that may be important, but are not the most important. We need your help, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. James, what a word. Thank you so much. We honor you. And Rebecca, we bless you. We cheer you on. And we believe that God's brought you here to say that to us.